Hey guys, it's Legend. Welcome back to this week's episode of The Real Quarantine Show. You know what? We've got a bit of a bonus for you because not only do we have a brand new episode, we have actually classic episodes because before we came to you, we were on another network and we played a bunch of cool shows. Andy, tell the people what you thought of those old shows. Jeez, it's... uh... All these shows are great. I mean, I always say, you know, our what we do is for the love of the business. Uh, we've had great episodes. I've been able to uh, talk with some of the, the guys from Puerto Rico about Puerto Rico memories. We've talked a lot of uh, history. Uh, one of my favorites is talking not once but twice with the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller. I mean, that's incredible. Who would have, I would never have thought a year ago, a guy who loves wrestling history, that I would ever have a chance to actually talk and ask questions to the Tennessee stuff. That was amazing. Elio, what kind of great memories do you have on this show? Yeah, there are so many great episodes. And we've had uh, a couple that come to mind. Of course, Continental, uh, the Ron Fuller episodes, both times we had him on as well. It's one of my favorites, the Madison Square Garden Glory Days. Oh, yeah. And we've had some great people. We've had uh, D'Lo Brown, um, Savio Vega. We've had some really fun guys. We've had some great old veterans. We've had some young up and coming stars. And that's what the shows you're going to see in the future is going to be all about that. We're going to encapsulate history. We're going to talk about topics of today. We're going to talk about the things that you guys want to talk about. And these little background, these classic episodes of ours, we'll go back, revisit those some of the things we've done in the last year. And off and on, we'll be going forward with a whole bunch of new things. So we look forward to seeing you all. Welcome back to The Real Quarantine. Hey, folks. Welcome back to another edition of The Real Quarantine Show. I'm your host, the legend T. James Logan. With me, the lone wolf, Andy Anderson. Pleasure as always. And the gentleman, Elio Canella. Great to be here. Guys, we have a returning guest. Uh, we've had him on many times. For uh, folks new to the show who have been joining now, our new format of the real quarantine show, we've had uh, Evan on a f- couple episodes of the old quarantine show. We want to welcome him back. We're talking about Evan Ginsberg. Evan, welcome to the today's show. Uh, thanks so much. Boy, it's good to be with you guys. Well, you know what, Evan? You have been a really interesting and loud voice of sometimes reason, sometimes <laughs> insanity about today and yesterday's <laughs> wrestling. Uh, Evan, you know what? If people always say throw out your credentials, but let's face it, this is a guy who was a uh, one of the associate producers on uh, the big hit movie The Wrestler, featuring Mickey Rourke, and also associate producer for 350 Days of Wrestling, which is a an excellent documentary that I've actually seen. I'm not you're not even blowing smoke this time. I've seen it, and uh, what an interesting and fascinating look into the lives of some of the biggest names from the 70s and 80s. And uh, I really did enjoy that a lot. Evan, obviously, you've been around wrestling for a while. Let's just give people who may be new to the the real quarantine show. Tell tell them a little bit about your experience with wrestling and what brings you to to this merry band of people today. Absolutely. I started as a fan, like so many of us. And uh, eventually, I became a sheet editor. And because of that, I ended up in radio on a 50,000-watt New York City station. WBAIFM 99.5. And one thing always leads to another. I love wrestling, as did um, the host of the show. I was the co-host. And uh, Fred Giobold 
was an old school AWA fan. And basically he said, Evan, let's bring some wrestlers up. And next thing I know, you know, we're interviewing Eddie Guerrero and Sherry Martel, you know, not always in studio, but many times on the phone as well. And from there, I started booking wrestlers like Johnny Valiant, Jimmy Valiant, Nikolai, Lanny Poffo, etc. And uh, from booking people, that's how I fell into the wrestler as, a, as an associate producer and basically the wrestling guy. And from there, you know, I ended up working on 350 days. So one thing always leads to another in this industry. In and all this tr- tremendous journey all culminates on you being a guest on no. <laughs> <laughs> you it's over. Like it's over, Kevin. It's over, Evan. You've reached the bottom. <laughs> he looks like Dr. Evil in the orange shirt there. <laughs> hey, I'm Dr. Evil. I took the shirt from him. <laughs> wow, let me um any <laughs> now you know what, Evan? I would, would you, would you guys, and then Andy and, and, and Elio, you guys be honest, because I know you guys have uh, Evan on Facebook. Would you say Evan is sometimes maybe a little vocal about his distaste of current wrestling at times? Evan Andy? is not shy to express how he feels. He makes no apologies, and uh, I think that's that's it. I mean, uh, you know what, do I, do I agree with everything he posts? No, do I agree with a lot of it? Yes, and it's in today's world that seems to be lost. I mean, we get memes and jokes about it. It's like, well, you know what happens if you don't dis- you know if you don't agree with somebody on Facebook? Nothing. Just scroll down and keep going. Like you know, we're we're supposed to be adults here. I mean, we're allowed to have different opinions, and we can still appear on shows together. We can still have great conversations together. We can still be friends together. So yeah, like it, it's Evan is. <laughs> Maybe, you know what, maybe just because so many people, at least on my feeds of social media, are maybe a little bit more, I don't want to say conservative, but just maybe more reserved in what they say. But, you know, mm-hmm. Evans, Evan speaks his mind and mm-hmm. like it or not. So, uh, and I respect that. So well, let me, let me just put in an asterisk. I'm not one of these guys who do the, there's been no good wrestling since the no. stories. No, you know, no that, that's very clear. That's not me. I just, as somebody who grew up in New York, and I've been in New York my whole life, as you could tell from my Brooklyn accent. <laughs> um, you know, I went to WWWF, later WWF, you know, f- for the longest time and saw some of the greatest wrestling I ever saw in my life. So to see two great wrestlers like Finn Balor and Roman Reigns, you know, basically do something that was circus-like and would insult the intelligence of a smart sixth grader, you know, yeah. to, to me, it's just disappointing because those guys could have had a tremendous wrestling match as opposed to a circus. And, mm. you know, I don't have any problem saying that. And yeah, at the same time, I watch new Japan pro wrestling, AEW, uh, ring of honor, you know, et cetera. So on. even WWE on occasion when they get serious and, I appreciate quality wrestling, but when it's just insulting to your intelligence, you know, I, I, I basically zone out like my brain flattens. I'm like, I'm like, did those rings just break? And if so, did, did those ropes just break? And if so, why? What was yeah. that? You know? it, it's it's one thing when you have you know you're doing that superplex with like 
Big Show and Mark Henry or, or uh, you know, like Brock Lesnar or something like that. It's like, okay, uh, yeah. But like you said, you, you got a 180-pound guy on there and all of a sudden the top rope breaks. It made no sense to me. And, uh, you know, if you're going to do this supernatural stuff, then, you know, it's just dumbed down beyond recognition. And, uh, you know, when they say Vince's dad would be proud of, you know, the huge financial success this is. I think the guy would roll in his grave three times if he saw last night's show. <laughs> you know, I think he'd be embarrassed by it, you know, honestly. It's fair enough. And, you know, this reminds me, I, I was thinking of this. And, Elio, I'm going to ask you about this quick question really quick here. Do you remember, I believe it was the WWE, you know, they sometimes put producing credits into movies. They did a horror movie about some people trapped on an elevator and one by one they were dying. Do you remember this? I think it was called The Devil or Devil or something like this. But it was produced that, by that, WWE. That, that was the WWE Studios? Yeah, it was one of their first uh, movies. That actually that. sounds familiar. I don't know I, that. Yeah. I, I, I saw the movie. I know what you're talking about. I, yeah. just didn't, I didn't know that that was WWE. Well, after all his posts, I want to see that movie redone with Evan and Vince McMahon <laughs> and a few... <laughs> WWE creative guys in the elevator, and I wonder who's going to make it to the end. Yeah, That's you, have all to, I'm you have to decide uh, which one's yeah, which one's yeah, which actually the, the real devil. devil. Is yeah. it Evan or is it Vince? <laughs> <laughs> That's a tough one. <laughs> guys, you guys ever read Jean Paul Sartre's No Exit? No, ex- no, I have not. No Exit is a classic where um, these people are locked in a room for eternity. They're in hell and they hate each other. So my idea of hell would be. Locked in a room with Vince and creation, forced to watch Raw for eternity. That would be my idea of hell. Well, you know what? Uh, Evan has always been a really good source talking about wrestling from the 70s, 80s. But he did make a very interesting point here. And it is true. I've never seen him ever just out and out complain about wrestling today. He does highlight and talk about good wrestling when he does see it today. And I thought today we'd switch gears from our usual uh, dig down memory lane and talk about some of the wrestlers of today that each of us like and why, what particular reason why. And then let's talk about if we think they would make it in the past and ask Evan if he thinks that those kind of wrestlers in the same situation, the same way they are today, built, booked, presented, would they have been able to survive the MSG days, the glory days of MSG. And so, first of all, I'm going to throw it out to Evan, first of all, to, to give me a wrestler right now, someone you really enjoy watching at this moment who's a current wrestler, and why do you like this guy? I think a guy like Okada would have made it in any era, because just because he's great, he's charismatic, he's colorful, he's got all the tools. I mean, um, you know, whether he would have been a main event guy in WWF, which is super heavyweights. That's a different story. And it's, you know, it's just theoretical anyway, but mm-hmm. I think, I think a guy like Okada would have at bare minimum worked all the territories and been a star and wrestled around the world. And, you know, some guys are just great and they would make it at any period. Do you think uh, the fact that Okada is Japanese would have held him back in the MSG days? You know, it was kind of a different time. A lot of times people who weren't traditionally white or black were treated as villains, as the foreign menace. Well, maybe he would have been with Fuji, Tanaka, Saeed. Throwing salt everywhere. You know, done the stereotype. But I, Mm -hmm. I think he would have made it. I think 
he would have been a star. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, Muda was big in the NWA in the uh, mid to late. Yep. I'd see yep. him yep. and he made it as a star. So, you know, great is great. So, yeah. Even Tiger Mask in the early 80s had the great American run. So, yeah. Okay. I, well, that's a good pick. Well, Carter, one of the probably recognizes one of the best wrestlers in the world today. Okay. Let's throw it over to you, Andy. Throw me a wrestler who's really on your radar these days. Uh, I, I'm debating because I don't know if I want to go right to the top for, for who mm-hmm. I'd pick. Um, but I'm going to maybe, I don't know if he'll be a sleeper or not, but mm-hmm. I, you know what? I think Seamus has been one of the most consistent guys over the, you know, but seriously, over through the pandemic, mm-hmm. like, you know, yeah. he's, he, whatever role you've had to put him in, he's done it. I mean, you know, has everything been you know, awesome kosher. Maybe not. Has there been some silly stuff? Absolutely. But I think just based on his size, based on his look, uh, his ability to, I think his ability to go, I I think he's a guy that uh, I don't know, you know, and this is where I'm kind of looking to see what, you know, Evans thought on this. I don't know if he'd be necessarily a main event guy or or world champ. Maybe, maybe he'd be a contender for, for Bruno or Backlund or somebody. Uh, I don't know about being like a world champ, but I just, to me, the, the credibility, the believability for, for me with him is mm-hmm. there more so than a lot of other guys in, in today's, okay. at least, at least in the, in the you know, WWE scene. It, it's funny you said that, okay? Because when you said Seamus, and my first thought was, no, yes, no. Because <laughs> I first started thinking back of guy, guys like Bruno, you know? These big, tough, burly, strong guys. Uh, Seamus, let's face it, he's legitimately tough. Yeah. He, he's a guy who will stand there really toe-to-toe. You know, he's not he, – he can fight stiff. He can be up there scrapping it out with a young Stan Hansen, definitely. Um, the only thing I'm wondering about, and I'll ask Evan too and, and Elio, is for me, I like Seamus a lot, but I feel he's just missing a tiny bit of charisma that that like guys like Bruno had, the, the sort of thing that captured you. And I'm not saying he's he's nothing. I'm just saying – you know how Stan Hansen was the big, mean, tough guy, yeah. but he did lack a tiny bit of charisma versus mm-hmm. somebody like, like Bruno. Um, I see him in that thing as a big, tough guy with just lacking a tiny bit of charisma. I think he would have been a great brawler in that time period. But Evan, what do you think? I like Seamus. Every time you see him, he puts on a good or very good match. I wouldn't say... He's uh, Terry Funk, but, you know, <laughs> he, always, he always gives 110%. And, um, you know, quality, quality wrestler. And the interesting part is, uh, we were talking before the show, Vince's dad back in the WWF days, it was always about size because Bruno could bench press 500 pounds or whatnot, 500 plus, and he was actually called the Italian Superman. So every guy that got in the ring with him, I shouldn't say every, but 95% of them were these huge monsters. And Seamus is a big boy. He's a big boy. And, um, you know, whether or not he would have gotten three matches at the Garden, like uh, some of Bruno's legendary opponents is a different question, but he definitely could have been a contender and, gotten title shots and uh you know he he's legit he's he's a, he's a good yeah. he's a good wrestler he's not the most charismatic guy in the world but he's 
he's, you know, back in the old days, you would say he's a solid pro, you know, he can yeah. do what needs to be done. Yeah. But, but, could that, but could that be, though, okay, so, I mean, especially because of the different time and the way they were utilized, if you threw Seamus in with, like, a Grand Wizard or a Captain Lou Albano or something, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he has a, he has an interesting gimmick, and he hasn't been to the beach in 20 years. And, <laughs> you know, he, has, he has a unique look, and, uh, yeah, I, I could see it. I could see it, and I would tell you if I didn't. Yep. Okay. Oh, what do you think, Elio? Elio, do you see Seamus as a as a superstar upper echelon guy back in the day? Like, I mean, he's not quite an upper echelon guy here. He's almost there. Yeah, I can see. I can see him as an upper level guy. Um, he's he's got that look. Uh, like we all said, uh, he said he's lacking that charisma. He's a everything. He doesn't really. He has the right look. The height, okay. uh, just, yeah, the charisma isn't there. You know, it's really funny, guys. I remember uh, back in the day when Sheamus was st- first getting his first uh, big push. I think it might have been back on SmackDown. And uh, they used to do these things on Sportsnet where they'd have like a wrestler on before, after, and they would be sitting there talking with the sportscasters and just jawing away being normal. And he comes out and he's wearing a suit and he's got his hair gelled up and all this stuff. And they're talking, and finally, the one of the sportscasters says, "You know, I, I, I'm sorry. I don't want to be rude. I just, you have got like the whitest skin in the world." <laughs> and he said, "Well, he goes, I am under orders that I am never allowed to tan or really go out into the sun. They make they that's part of my thing. They tell me I can't do that. They want me to look as white Pale, as pasty, yeah. <laughs> like a walking jug of milk." Yeah. <laughs> and it's weird here seeing this humongous big man told being told you can't go outside in the sun. <laughs> sort of absurd if you ask me. Uh, Elio, you got a guy for us? This uh this one uh I become a fan of um Damien Priest. Damien Priest, there's an interesting pick. What do you what do you liking about him and I just like the whole presentation, just like all the Lately, uh, he since he won the United States Championship, all the fans uh, are behind him. Um, he's just got the presentation that looked the charisma. Okay. The in-ring skills. All right. D- uh, Andy, Damian Priest, what are you thinking on this guy? Are you seeing it, not seeing it? Uh, it it's, to me, I don't know, like, the... the... I'm just trying to see, like, I'm trying to think of how I would see his character fit in to, like, a, you know, like a, like a, like a mid '70s, early '80s type of environment. Mm-hmm. Um, well, first of all, though, what do you see him today? Do you see him today as an upper echelon guy, or is he just kind of the flavor of the month, or is he a guy who's going to be, you know, an upper mid carder for a while? What, what are you seeing on this guy? Uh, right now, I, I don't see upper echelon. Uh, I see definite like mid to upper card. I mean, it's kind of the, you know, we, we talk about the, we talk, they talk about like the, the proverbial glass ceiling, mm-hmm. um, you know, so there's everybody kind of like, I don't know if I kind of see him at the, the top of the bottom or the, the bottom of the top. If you know, if you, if you yep. get what I mean, yeah, um, he, he's, he, to me, he's still that mid ground. He, at least on the main roster, he hasn't been around long enough. Mm-hmm. Uh 
for me, it's still going to take more time. Like, and I'm, I'm a guy like way back in the day when, when Miz debuted, mm-hmm. I was not a fan of the Miz at all. I didn't, you know, I just didn't see anything. And I'm, you know, he won over the years, he won me over like with, with, his, with his work ethic, uh, you know, everything he's put in, everything he's, he's done. So, you know, like that's why I'm not going to straight dismiss Damian Priest and go, mm-hmm. nope, that's where he is this year because the potential's there. I just, mm-hmm. at this point, it's, it's too early for me to say, uh, yeah, I see him being the next Roman Reigns or, you know, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't see him being a top guy at this moment. And, and, and you were touching on the fact that it might be a hard fit for the seventies or eighties. Uh, Cause it's nothing, what he is, isn't really exactly like anything that was back then. Well, and, and I mean, and you know, obviously I wasn't there, so Evan will know a lot more so than, than I would. But I mean, I, the, the flashiness to me, it's like mm-hmm. I'm thinking like, you know, superstar Billy Graham and some of the tie dye and some of the fancy stuff like that. And, and to me, I don't, you know, I can't think of anything off the top of my head, anything that would be much more outlandish unless, you know, you're talking like an exotic Adrian Street or if Dusty Rhodes was getting a little, you know, a little funky. I, I just, I, I can't think of anything like, Similar, like okay, well, if we, you know, how would Damian Priest stand out? Fit, yeah, fit there. Like to me, like you know, we're talking making the picks. It's like okay, when I said Sheamus, I guess you know, with some maybe minor alterations, I could see Sheamus sliding from here, you know, jumping into the time machine, mm-hmm. and then going into like you know, mid late seventies and being able to kind of just walk down the aisle. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't see or feel that with. Damian Priest. I mean, maybe, you know, if, if we're tweaking okay. him, I mean, if, if, if we're getting creative and we're going to say, okay, well, he's going to be this character, he's going to do this, we can do that with anybody. But in this current state, uh, I don't know. Hey, before I hit over to Evan, um, I, I got to say, when the first time I seen Damian Priest, it was in Ring of Honor. And uh, I was like, wow, he's really tall. Um, he's big. He does a lot of interesting moves. But the one thing I couldn't shake and it's maybe unfair of me to say is he looks old he looks like an older man wrestling like an older man who just started and it made me think of like ddp where you get a guy who has a very late start sure maybe has a a a couple good years but he's already a very old guy and he doesn't have a long shelf life on him and i know that i know a lot of people have been talking in the wwe about this that they want to try and get as much out of him now because he is not a young man. He has been around yeah, yeah. quite a long time before getting anywhere. And, uh, and I do not honestly, I can't picture him in the sixties or our seventies or eighties. I, I, I don't know where you'd go. What direction with that? His size is different because his body isn't built like the, the giants of, of the, of that era. Yeah. And he's definitely not, uh, the lineage or background, like, you know, like guys who are the hometown ethnic heroes, he, he doesn't really fall into that at all. Yeah. So I'm going to throw this over to Evan. Evan, first of all, currently what you're thinking of uh, Damien Priest and then a, a little bit of uh, could he do the way back time machine gimmick? I, I, I have to say this real quick before you yeah. speak. This almost feels to me like it's like it's like Evan's the like the almighty judge. And it's like we're sort of like, a, you know, presenting. It's like, please, sir, what do you think of this offer? Well, well I, I'm thinking of, I want his opinion. of. of <laughs> oh, no, I agree. Up. I love it. I love it. But just as like we're like we're discussing, it's like now we look to like, you know, here, I'll, <laughs> use a modern, I'll use a modern reference. We look to our tribal chief. 
The almighty heaven gives <laughs> Hey, at least you didn't say the ancient one. At least you didn't say that that's the ancient one. <laughs> I'm, the, I'm, oh, the, ancient one. I'm the ancient elder. Yes. <laughs> well, I happen to like Damien Priest. I think he's uh, charismatic and he's got these great moves and um, he's got a good look. Um, the issue would have been back in the day, and you guys mentioned it, um, with the ethnic heroes, it was almost an unwritten quota system. So, for example, if Pedro was on top, and let's say Victor Rivera was the number two Hispanic hero, there probably wouldn't have been room for a number three, you know, just like mm -hmm. you had just like you had Tony Atlas and Rocky Johnson, and then SD Jones, like 10 notches below, you know, there wasn't room for a number four because mm -hmm. they just had that kind of like this quota system in their heads. And, um, you know, I, what's interesting to me is the wrestling fans never really saw color. They, they mm -hmm. loved the faces. They hated the heels back then. They didn't care. Black, white, green, orange, Hispanic. They, they didn't care. But I'm just telling you that the promoters cared. And yeah. whether, you know, Pedro was the world champion, then the intercontinental champion, back when that title really meant something. So to have another guy, you know, so later Tito, Tito Santana came and he was more like the perennial tag champ, later, much later, the intercontinental champ. So I'm just saying, I don't know if they would have made room for Damian Priest, unfortunately. But he, he's got he's got all the skills, you know, and mm -hmm. I, I respect the guy. All right. My pick, um, I'm just going to jump the shark and I'm going to go for Kenny Omega. Um, here's a guy who, oh boy, I watched a lot uh, going into New Japan. I watched his whole beginning as the cleaner before he joined the Bullet Club. Then as he joined the Bullet Club, then he has ascended to the best bout machine that they called him. I mean, he was putting on these incredible matches where you'd sit there and literally watch him for 55 minutes fight Okada. And it was exciting. And it was an incredible time to watch this guy uh, do these things. And when he came over to AEW, we had that first year where it was just like, we were all holding our breath, waiting for him to do something and nothing happened. He just sort of yet yeah, waiting and waiting, nothing happened, nothing happened. And we started all harking towards, oh, remember the Kenny Omega of old, the one who used to be U Japan, did all this, did all that. Then in the second year, he's he, like a, I don't know, you, a, a switch gets flipped and he turns into such an over character. But then I started watching and is he really? I mean, he, we got the Kenny Omega from Japan, at least the stylistics and the actions and the characteristics. But I don't know how well that really plays with a North American audience because now he comes across as extremely silly, goofy, uh, out of place with a lot of things. Um, still a great wrestler. You I mean you put him on a pay per view and he's going to give you a match that's like, wow. But all the stuff in between makes me question what exactly did I like about this guy in the beginning? And then, and then when I try to say, well, could you put him, like, let's face it, here's a guy who's been considered one of the best wrestlers for the last couple of years. I don't think the 70s or 80s is a place for him. I, I don't think they would think he was big enough. I think they would think he's too, in an era where secrets were kept, he's too smarmy. 
he's too quick to try and act like he's letting you in on the joke when nobody was let in on the joke. So for me, Kenny Omega is a guy who I enjoy wrestling. I, I don't enjoy his promos anymore. I don't enjoy a lot of the silliness and stuff that he's doing right now. It makes me kind of roll my eyes at times. There's those times, Evan, where I talk about where me and Andy talk about this, where you, you put on the TV and there's a great wrestling match and you invite your friend over and you sit there and you guys watch it and your friend looks at you and goes, okay, you know, I'm not a wrestling fan, but I kind of get what you like here. But then there's those moments where something comes on and you look and you're like, oh shit, I wish you weren't sitting here because how in the hell am I going to explain this crap to you? That's sometimes how I feel what Kenny Omega does a lot when he's not wrestling. All the stuff with Don Callis and, and, uh, and the, those little goofy tag team guys is just, um, it's just silly schlock crap that's just WWE light which I already don't like their version of that crap. So why do I want to see an even more watered down, sillier version of that garbage? So that's my problem and my love and hate for Kenny Omega. <laughs> um, Andy, you want to weigh in a bit on Kenny Omega? <laughs> There's a lot of interesting stuff that you said there. And I'm trying to, you know, in the moment, trying to kind of pick up, like, okay, well, I, I kind of agree with this. I don't agree with this. Um <sighs> I mean, in today's world, he is what it is. You listed off all the accolades. Um, you know, I don't watch as I, mean, I didn't watch as much like Ring of Honor and New Japan and whatnot as, as you guys uh, do or did. So for me, most of my Kenny Omega experience is what I see in AEW. Um, okay. Having said that, you know, and we've had this discussion on on, on shows in the past. Uh, the level of goofiness, maybe you know, it's I'm not the target demographic. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it just doesn't. You know, there's, there's some stuff that I can kind of chuckle with. Other stuff doesn't really resonate with me. Um, as far as sliding him, you know, I just, you know what we need to do? If we do another episode of this, we need to have, like, Evan's got to have, like, some sort of, like, even if it's just, like, a backup of, like, a time machine in the background. So it's like, okay, <laughs> we're going we're gonna to send Kenny Omega into Evan's time machine. So, no, he has to dress like Doc Brown. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like the, the MSG time machine or something. Yeah. A DeLorean in the background. Yeah, and, and it, it's somewhere it's located in Penn Station. So we just <laughs> pop right up and <laughs> off we go. Um, Kenny Omega, the, to me, if we're, if we're going to try and slide him into the 70s and the 80s, or like the 70s, early 80s, I the size thing is a, is a definite, uh, definite strike against him. I, you know what, I, I would almost like to me, it's like, okay, well, if we're throwing him in there, that's it's, it's something where like a specialty match where, you know, like the tiger mask or the dynamite kid, you kind of throw him in there for something that's going to be totally like a total 180 from what you would normally see at the show. It, that, you mm-hmm. know, it would be that, it would be that special attraction. Yeah, special attraction that would be there. Uh, I, I, I wouldn't see him competing for really for any titles, just, you know, special special attraction that that's that that's where where i see him him and andre but if he was doing a tag match with him and andre that'd be something where you know the the finish would be andre standing in the corner and then kenny would be getting on top of uh, andre's shoulders and then doing like the splash and there'd be that one two three like that would be like that kind of thing if you know if he was working or- with andre or blow us away and Andre gets on top of Kenny Omega's shoulders. And anyways, um, <laughs> Elio, Kenny, Kenny Omega, Omega, buddy. Hey, uh, 
Yeah, he, he's had some great matches, both in New Japan and AEW, but uh, we're, yeah, we're all waiting for him during the first year of AEW to see, uh, see the old Kenny Omega. And now that we've seen him, uh, he, while he has his matches, uh, the promos, I just don't like his promos. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, Evan. I just want to mention. I just want to mention that Elio looks like he's broadcasting from inside a coffin. He needs some light. <laughs> yeah. He looks like a terrorist, and he's going to spend money that he'll blow up some station if we don't like pay or something. <laughs> Turn on a light, Elio. It's getting scary. Uh, I I honestly feel, and this is high praise because I'm jaded. I think Okada against Omega was the Ric Flair, Ricky Steamboat. Um, Dory Funk Jr., Jack Briscoe of, you know, this era. Kind of modern day. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I agree, Evan. I think the guy is absolutely tremendous. And going back to, let's say, the mid-70s, early 80s, Vince McMahon Sr. respected guys who could work. I mean, guys like Johnny Rods and Davey O'Hannon and... Uh, All the Eddie Gilbert, all these undercard guys could work, you know, Um, would he have been on top being a smaller guy with no, you know, set gimmick like Johnny Valiant used to say to me uh, back in those days, guy would walk down the aisle and in 10 seconds you'd go, he's the bad cowboy. This guy's the good Indian. This guy's the bad cowboy. This guy's the bad Indian. Kenny Omega looks like some guy walking down the street. I don't think. <laughs> you know, you, you yeah. So that's a long-winded way of saying a guy that great would have always had a job. Whether or not he would have been on top in 1975 is a different question. He would have been big in like Florida, you know, even the AWA, where it was always an emphasis on wrestling. Wrestling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, in a super heavyweight territory like WWF, he might not have fared as well. All right. Well, the pendulum has swung back to you, Evan. It's your pick. Um, well, so guys who are active right now. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I love um, I love the Lucha Brothers. Either of those guys. Just, uh, okay. you know, Why? They're just dynamic. Um, they're they could wrestle, they could fly, they could brawl, they, you know, they could do it all those guys. And um, either one of those guys, I, I could see being a star, mm-hmm. uh, you know, again, with, with, with an asterisk, because, the, you know, for Phoenix, the size just isn't there. Yeah, he is small. How tall, how tall is he? Like, I think he's like 5'9". Okay. He is a, for a wrestler, he's rather small and he's very thin. Yeah. Um, obviously, too, I think they would translate. They would, so let's face it, the 70s and 80s, there were tons of mass wrestlers. And the fact they were uh, Mexican mass wrestlers, boom, you got a built in gimmick right there. They could be an attraction anywhere. I think yeah. they would have been like Gordman and Goliath and headlined all the territories and, you know, even even as singles been showcased just because of how great they are. Gordman and Goliath would come into the garden, you know, and I, I saw Gordman wrestle Pedro Morales and 
yeah, legit, legit, long-standing tag team that's great. I, I think that would have easily translated in that era. But again, you wouldn't see Bruno versus Phoenix. And that, <laughs> you know, I, think, yeah. I think Phoenix comes up to his knees. That probably would not work. <laughs> Bruno, Bruno wasn't tall. Bruno no. was just like a house, built like a yeah. house. No, no, but I mean, still, five foot nine. Uh, he's a pretty small dude. That little. <laughs> uh, what do you think of uh, the the? Uh, oh, I forgot the Lucha, Lucha Brothers. Brothers. Andy, I am a fan of the Lucha Brothers. Uh, I think even you know, there's at one point when uh, you know we were doing regular reviews of the Dynamite show. Wasn't that the, one of the first times I think they they worked each other? And I think I said that was, mm-hmm. like, that was like my favorite match of the year. Yes, to that point or something. Um, yeah, no, I, I enjoy them now. For me, you know, I don't, I'm not looking at it as a Bruno versus Phoenix or Bruno versus Penta, but, you know, even with, despite the size, because of the masks, because of the heritage, uh, just having them as heels, I don't see why they couldn't be like WWF tag team champions. Oh, that's what I'm saying. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and they'd be able to fit in. And like I said, just, you know, the, the whole, you know the, the latin thing right there you have it and and yeah going even in, into territories you know i I'm, okay. I'm sure they could even be you know they'd probably be loved like around like like texas and new mexico i mean you could easily just as you know quick turn the switch on them and have them be heels as well like it, it could work work either way so um yeah I, I i think there's to me they'd have a a much better chance of success than than say like a kenny omega in uh in 70s yeah in the 70s wrestling world no Mascaris right. was a headliner in New York. Yeah. yeah. Pentagon's bigger than his brother. I think he I think he could have been a, a, a star solo, but again, mm-hmm. I don't see him as a heel challenger to Bruno and Bat. No. Yeah, yeah. Maybe you, depending on who it was, sorry, real quick, Evan, depending on who would who it who it would be at the time, maybe as a challenger for the Intercontinental title? Sure. Sure. I mean, he's a legit guy. I mean, he's yeah, good. yeah. Okay. How about Elio? What do you think of? Uh, I like the Lucha Brothers. I've been a fan of Lucha Brothers uh, since Impact, Impact Wrestling. Um, they've had a lot of great matches, uh, bo- both against other teams and as well as against each other. Like that one they had on AEW that we just brought up. Mm-hmm. Um, that, especially especially that. Match you just had at the last pay per view. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That, they, they had that match. I really enjoyed that one. I'll tell you guys a funny story. I saw Pentagon versus Phoenix on an indie in New York in front of a mostly Hispanic audience. The match was so great, they were throwing money in the ring at the end. They were oh, throwing nice. bills into the ring, and the whole ring was covered in money. The only time I had ever seen that before. Was an, was at an Afro pop concert with an African audience. It's a cultural thing. The yeah. ring was covered in cash. That's how great that match was. It was that's wow. pretty cool. Wow. And fans, that is that is a thing that still occurs in Mexico. Uh, it's the ultimate praise you can give a match is to throw money into the into the to the competitors. Now, the, the Lucha Brothers are I, I find a very interesting thing as a tag team. I think they're tremendous. And it seems like as the years go on, they get better and better and more attuned to each other. Um, Phoenix, I mean, you try and take them apart and it's tough because Phoenix, when you watch, is the guy who does, he's the human highlight reel in that team, you know? He does all the crazy stuff. 
But when you do look at him as a single person, he's a very small individual. And he doesn't look like realistically on his own, he could do much to a big size wrestler. So that credibility is, is really hard for him. Um, when it comes, and, and this may be, I may be, be having a, a, an unfair opinion here. You guys might not like this, but I struggle with Pentagon because I came in not seeing Pentagon's runs from Impact. I'd heard about it, but not seen any of it. So I think I came in and I've seen Pentagon a lot where he came in and he was maybe injured because it seemed a lot of times in the beginning with the Lucha Brothers, he really didn't do a lot. He did a lot of theatrics, you know, it annoyed me every match. He took off his glove and threw it in your face and that kind of crap, but he didn't actually wrestle much. It seemed like Phoenix did all the wrestling. He did some setups and that was kind of it. Uh, the last little while, it seems like maybe he's feeling a lot better because it seems like he's doing a lot more in the ring and he is a bigger guy. I could see him uh, running as a singles guy this day. Could I see him running as a single star in the uh, 80s? No. Um, Mil Mascaris was brought in as a special attraction because he had a name and they knew who he was and they brought him in and he was treated as such. Uh, I don't think Mil Mascaris would have been done dick if he was just a guy who came in on his own, wrestled the way he wrestled and just tried to be Mil Mascaris on the, the, the level at that time. I think he would have gone nowhere uh, because he was small and he, I mean, I'm not sure what Mexico got, but it didn't seem we got that much out of Mil Mascaris when he was in in uh, the U.S. I, I I never could understand why his what he was matching up to. You know? Sorry, you couldn't understand the appeal. Yeah, I, well, and I want to. That's the thing is, I like international yeah. stars, but I think by the time he came up to the U.S., he was already getting into the twilight of his career, and he was sort of living off his name and the fumes of what he was. So for me, a young guy watching him, I was just like, I don't get what this guy's doing. I this, why are people cheering this guy? He's not that great. He's okay. I saw him. Um, I saw him ten years earlier, and he was great in the seventies. Mm -hmm. So tell me, tell me. I saw him headline the Garden against Billy Graham, and um, you know he came in and he basically wrestled everybody, and they treated him like Andre. He, he didn't lose. You know. He, yeah. And, you know, 99 out of 100 times, Mascaris was, uh, he was a big, big star back then. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, but do you think, Evan, when he came in, right, wasn't he already an established name internationally that they brought in to right. fight the American wrestlers? Huge in Mexico, huge in L.A., yeah. uh, Texas. You know, okay. he you know, to a Hispanic audience. And uh, New York has a huge Hispanic population. So, mm -hmm. uh, he was, so, he was a big star here in New York in the 70s. I guess what the question I'm asking, though, is if he didn't have that international reputation, if he'd just been a young guy starting out with the same gimmick and everyone knowing he was uh, Mexican, do you think he would have gotten anywhere if he was just Mil Mascaris, the guy wrestling in the 70s, who was trying to make a name for himself in the U.S., if he didn't have that international flair behind him to come up behind do you think he would have gotten anywhere on that merit? I That's think, a question I wonder. I think he was great in the 70s. I saw him in L.A. all the time on TV. I mm -hmm. saw him in New York. And, you know, he, he was a wrestler. He uh, he was the polar opposite of what Reigns and Ballard did yesterday. It was hold for hold, move for move, you know, high, high spots tossed in. Uh, okay. 
the 1975 Milmoskris was not the 1990 Milmoskris, like like a lot of guys, you know, they, yeah. they slowed down and. Um, no, that's fair. That's fair. Um, but I always thought the guy was the the only thing with him was like Andre, you just always oh, going to win, so there wasn't a lot of suspense. <laughs> yeah. You know. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So All right. That was that was something that was missing in his matches, to be honest. Yeah. Well. I almost feel like Andy that I should throw a tag team at you. Seven <laughs> through a tag team mode. Do you think you could scrape out a tag team out of the the thoughts of today? Uh, there's not really that a lot of. I, you can switch over to yeah, a single if you want. Well, you were gonna say Young Bucks, weren't you? <laughs> no, not a chance. <laughs> um, hmm. Yeah, I, I would defer defer my choice right now if you wanted me to, to do a, a tag to just because for, for what I see and for what I watch, I mean, you know, like my my viewing is limited and we yeah. know, uh, you know, WWE's emphasis on tag teams and uh, I don't uh, You're going to pick your own kip. I know. It's okay. Pick, pick single. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I don't know if I'm going to be cocky on this one to just, but it's, it's I'm trying to think like who is my like who is my favorite today, and yep. although he's he's more like a semi regular competitor, you, you yep. guys know like I I I love Brock Lesnar. I love what he brings to the table. I yep. love how uh, you know in past episodes we've talked about like to me, you know we we in in a world where the the curtain is ripped right open, he's managed to keep that aura there because he's not on Instagram posting, he's not on Facebook, he's not you know, talking stuff. He's, he's a very private individual and it, it's to me, the closest is to, to what we have for K Fabe as we did, you know, say back in the seventies. And I mean, you know, he's, he's le- le- the legit beast now. And, and mm-hmm. I, I think that he would very easily translate. I, I, I don't know, like, would he be a monster heel? Like, I don't know. Could, could you have a, a heel champion dominate, say like the way Bruno did back in the seventies, Evan? The only guy that did it was Billy Graham for ten months. Um, yeah, that, ten months. The pattern, the pattern was always uh, the the face and versus the monster heel. That was Vince McMahon Senior's thing, you know. Right, right. So I, I, I don't know. Like, I mean, to me, it's it's like yeah, like Brock would have no issue, you know, fitting in there. But it's like, well, how, how do you how how do you book Brock Lesnar and? In, in the mid-70s. Well, I'll tell you exactly what they would have done. Lesnar would have come in as like Superman and he would have wrestled Bruno three straight sellouts at the Garden with the third match in the cage. That, that's Then he would have lost and he would have worked his way down the ladder, went to another territory, two years later, come back. That was, that was the pattern. That was it, yeah. He would have, he would have been a star, but um, he probably would not have. You know, we had a guy, Crusher Verdue, Big burly guy, and um, he he was not the wrestler that uh, Lesnar is. Lesnar Lesnar's a legit guy. He's an MMA. Yeah. He could yeah. kill with bare hands. So yeah, him and Bruno would have been a draw. Him and uh, Pedro, him and Backlund, because the guy's legit. So yeah, yeah I, I would I would say three and gone. You know, and, Ugh, what a waste. Yeah. No. And the next yeah, but... month, and the next month he'd be wrestling for the Intercontinental Belt 
and then yeah. that work his way down the card and out the door. That's the way they did Man. it. Yeah. yeah. I'm holding out for Brock Lesnar versus what that guy, Baron Sculius. Six <laughs> one up. Yeah, there we go. Or or Chief J Strongbow versus <laughs> That he would have he would have had a heart attack in the ring in eighty four in eighty two. Uh, all right, uh, what do you? I guess well, Elio, we we know you. What do you think of Brock Lesnar? I think it's Brock Lesnar. I like he's a, he's a beast, like Andy says. Like he yeah. he keeps himself. He's not on social media. He's a private person. Um, yeah. Um, he he definitely uh, dominated seventies. Yeah, and it's kind of funny because you you hear like all the tough guys of the seventies of how you know these rough and tough individuals, and I could just in my mind see one of them going up and trying to say something to Brock Lesnar, and Lesnar just laying him out, you know, punching out Stan Hansen or something like, "Oop, okay, we'll leave this guy alone." The other the other side of it is the NWA would put the best wrestler as the world champion. That's why you had guys like Jack Briscoe and Hall. Yeah, yeah. So they might have said, hey, let's make this guy the world champion. Yeah. Nobody's going to mess with this guy. So, yeah. so well, that, that I could see more than um, the WWWF. Okay. Well, he, he, here's Don, a weird... Danya loved wrestlers. And, and, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's true. And I mean, Brock's a Minnesota boy anyways, right? So Yeah, yeah I could well, see that. And, and here's sorry, the funny sorry, story. Greg, sorry, Greg, you're not going to be Chapa. We're going to have Brock. Just... <laughs> yeah, Greg, go back to the bank. Um, <laughs> he just seems like he'd be a bank manager or something. Um, Danya, Greg Danya was not a bad wrestler. He, he, no. just, he just took a lot of heat as the boss's son. He wasn't bad. No, but, but anybody else, that's the size though, right? I mean, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh... Um. I, it's sort of funny, too, because when you guys were talking about that, and I was trying to imagine Brock Lesnar as NWA champion at that time, right? And it's so funny because it's the exact opposite is today we Brock works so well because he's so realistic, right? And the 70s, you had realism, but you also had this underbelly of a sensationalism you tried to push in with wrestlers, you know? Superstar Billy Graham was this great big muscle guy, but he also had to do the outrageousness and the tie-dye and the blah, blah, blah. And it almost makes me think, poor Brock, how would he survive in the 70s? Because he doesn't really have a gimmick. And you kind of needed somewhat of a gimmick, even though you were a tough, great wrestler. You still kind of needed a gimmick in some ways. I mean, maybe Jack Briscoe, not so much, but even Harley Race had kind of the tough guy thing going on. I just, I don't know. I, I can't say either way if it would work or not, but I wonder. Roy Funk Jr. basically walked in the ring as himself. Just He was a wrestling machine. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and... Um... Even Harley Race, the only gimmick was he was a, a legit tough guy, but he came in as I'm the best wrestler in the world. So I could have seen Lesnar in that Dude, role yeah. as a champ for a year or two. Yeah, no doubt. I'm cool with it. I'm just like I'm saying myself, I'm not sure. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah, I, I see, but I, I mean, and maybe for me, it's because I wasn't really thinking NWA. I just think more like WWF and then maybe mm-hmm. territories, but like, you know, the more we talk about, oh yeah, if Brock, you know, put him in the NWA, I, to me, it's like that sounds so much better because you know, like you said, three and done. It's like, oh man, like what a waste of, of like, you know, because even like to see like Andre in more of his prime, like Andre versus Brock, like wow, that would be something. 
you know, never mind Hogan and Andre. That there's your, you know, immovable force and or was it unstoppable force, immovable object. Like, damn. To this if day, we- to this day, what I don't understand is why they haven't had like Brock versus Lashley, two MMA guys. I would think that would be like a WrestleMania main event. Vince doesn't yeah. speak for some reason. That's what everyone was waiting for. Yeah, it was Lesnar and Lashley. Well. I think if we're going to use the Wayback Machine, we would we would better be able to set Brock just before a little bit earlier, and he could have become Chief Brock Lesnar. <laughs> he could have been the token Indian that they were always. No, he would have been the Minnesota Mauler. The Minnesota <laughs> or he they could have given him an Asian gimmick. I don't know. Anyways, <laughs> this is, this uh, is why Elio and I are here to kind of like roll, you know, pull him back in from all the silliness. Yeah, yeah. Once I go off the rails, they need to throw me back on. Uh, Elio, give me a wrestler, buddy. Okay, one guy I always liked. Another, again, we're going back to AEW, Adam Page. Adam Page. Interesting, yeah. interesting. What are you liking about Adam Page? I like uh, his whole, uh, his whole uh, gimmick. The, although in the first year of AEW, I really didn't like the whole the, the Falling drunk, down drunk the, thing? Yeah, the drink cowboy down on his luck. Um, like they just uh, made his like watered down his character and made him look ridiculous with all the comedy stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. Uh, Andy, Adam, I'm checking something here. Do we uh, I just wanted because I'm curious. Yeah. Oh, so he, he's not uh, overly tall, hey. Who Adam Page? He's six feet. Okay. Yeah, that's at least that's what the built height is. Yeah, um, it probably means take away two inches. Yeah, I don't. And you guys know, like I, I didn't. I don't mind him in in AEW. Um, I, I don't see him being anything special, really. To that, like, in that time, uh, mm-hmm. if I try to go the wider scope, you know, maybe around the territories, he'd be good. If you're doing Cowboy Adam Page, but. Uh, you know, WWF, NWA, I, I don't see anything, you know, mid, mid-card at best. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, Evan, how do you see Adam Page now, and what do you think of time way backing him in the old-time machine? Adam Page is one of these guys who are very, very good and not quite great. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I would see him mid to high on the card, if not the main event. And I see him as a guy like Dutch Mantel and so many others. He would have made a decent living working the territories, even headlining in some of the territories. But this is not the guy that would have headlined in WWF. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, I agree with you guys in, in a sense of, okay, first let me say, I think Adam Page is tremendous. Okay. I think he's a very good wrestler. Um, sometimes I think he does lack a little spark uh, of charisma that you kind of need for that upper echelon, but we've seen it. We've seen him do it in um, ROH. We have not seen him do it in uh, AEW as much as he should be able to do, which is troublesome. Okay. Um, I think he could be, could he be a champion last year? I would have said yes. For AEW, but now that they've got guys like Brian Danielson and, and uh, CM Punk and all these other big names, I think that really kind of pushes him out of the picture. I don't think he has charisma enough to run with those guys yet. Um, I think he's tremendous. 
The 70s, though, you guys make a good point. Go back to the 70s, 80s. If you were a cowboy gimmick, you had better be a big, strong dude. And as well as he is a solid big guy, he's not by any means as big as the dudes who were cowboys back then. So I think poor Adam Adam uh, Page would have to probably find a different gimmick. <laughs> I like, it's like to me, it's like okay, let's put like Stan Hansen up against Adam Page. Yeah, no, poor Adam Page is a dead man. That's not a good idea. Not a good idea. Um, and I'm not belittling Adam Page whatsoever. Okay, but it's just like. The cowboy gimmick back in the 70s and 80s, there were no small cowboy dudes. They were all 260 to 350 pound dudes or the cowboys. Mantel wasn't huge, but um, he was. No, but I mean, look at some of the big ones they had. Cowboy. Oh, they all had cowboy in the front. But you know what? (laughs) The Blackjacks. Duncum. You you know, all these dudes were big, you know. and by the way, the drunken cowboy gimmick, wasn't that Terry Funk doing that for years? Anyways, um, <laughs> moving on. Uh, boy, okay, let's think. Uh, a wrestler that I really like now. Who do I really like to turn on? You know, I'm going to put on a wrestler I don't like. And I, I know these guys will probably tell you why they don't like him. I'm curious what you think of it, Evan. And let's be honest, if this gimmick would make it in the 70s or 80s. And I'm talking about Orange Cassidy. Uh the guy with this, I don't even get it. He's a slacker is his thing. He's the guy who shows you that you don't have to do anything to get ahead. He's so cool that he doesn't have to take his po- hands out of his pockets when he wrestles. Is that what his I'm character not- is? Because I still haven't figured it out. Yeah, I think he be- it's definitely not to our age <laughs> uh, demographics, his, his whole thing. But it seems like he has a lot of fans. It seems like a lot of people like him. When I do watch him, when he starts wrestling, the dude can wrestle. It's He's got like some 15-plus years experience on the indies. He does know how to wrestle. Um, how he can jump through a rope with his hands in his pocket is terrifying <laughs> and spectacular all at the same time. Uh, but I'm curious because I do not see any way in hell a gimmick like that could work in the 70s and 80s. Um I think it's just a change in values. I, I think people who were slackers like that weren't even glorified whatsoever. Nobody liked people like that. Yeah. Uh, when you made fun of somebody, was a geek? Geek wasn't uh, uh, a name you took and proudly said, yeah, I'm a geek. No, geek was something you were ashamed of. You know, um, first of all, I want to ask Elio, what do, you, what do you think right now of this guy, Orange Cassidy? Okay, Orange Cassidy, I'm not the biggest fan. I When he debuted, I just didn't get the whole character. Mm-hmm. How he flies through the ropes with his hands in his pocket, I don't get. It's like both terrifying, spectacular, dangerous. <laughs> and yet kind of watch it. It's like a car wreck, right? Yeah, you got to watch it. When it's, it it's like you have to watch Eki Kenshin away. Some of the mm-hmm. moves, because he can wrestle. But and okay. the one the, the other thing that annoys me about him is the shin kicks that he does. Yes, and and you know what, Evan, this does this harking back to what you would classify as the the ridiculousness of of the juvenile thinking of like the WWE creative. This whole let's slow down and do stuff in a slow motion pantomime of wrestling. Um, I I watch Orange Cassidy like it's performance art. I don't even connected with pro wrestling i'm just (laughs) no really it's like 
the rules all change when this guy comes out and it's shtick. It's basically, um, if you went to an off-off-Broadway theater and somebody was doing performance art, and in and of itself, I think the guy's talented and it's original, And but um, they would have beat him up in the WWF locker room. In the locker room. <laughs> they, they wouldn't have accepted it back then. Yeah. And um, uh, he could have made it in a place like L.A. where they were more open the crazy gimmicks they had the frankenstein monster and the mummy and you know really still yeah really silly gimmicks because they, they just would do anything to get fans in the door so uh, maybe even in memphis um where they were more open to like crazy gimmicks but uh he would not have made it doing that in uh, wwwf Mc, mcmahon's father was too serious for that he wouldn't have uh he wouldn't have accepted it true so you probably he could have been like he probably would have beaten Lawler at least once or twice for that belt Maybe. before Lawler got to his six hundredth reign. Uh, he would have headlined the Olympic against Piper in seventy five, and they would have had a lot of fun. That's, <laughs> really, really, um, I, I I have no problem with it, believe it or not, because to me it's not wrestling. So you just take it for what it is. It's comedy, you know, and okay. I appreciate his skills, you know. And it doesn't offend you that that shows up on the middle of a wrestling program? Um, it's all suspension of disbelief. If, if, if you have a lucha match and the seven guys are waiting outside the ring to catch the guy, you have to suspend disbelief. Um, <laughs> That's every match these days. <laughs> I mean, um, you know, even like the Superman comebacks, uh, whether it was Hogan or The Undertaker or even Bruno, it wasn't exactly the most realistic, uh, you know, the, all of a sudden the guy, you know, would come out of nowhere. And, you know, in, in real life, the 300 pound guy pounding you for 20 minutes, the, the guy would be lying there dead. So it, <laughs> it's, that, it's just um, with Orange Cassidy, it's 10 times or 100 times the suspension of disbelief. And it is, it doesn't offend me, really, honestly. Okay. What, okay. Offends, what offends me is a guy like Finn Balor, who's so great doing absolute crap like yesterday. That bothers me. Okay. Yeah. Reference. So the fans who just tuning in now, do, who have no idea what you're talking about, just walk us through what was what you did not like and what you saw there. We're talking Finn Balor versus Roman Reigns. Extreme Rules, I believe, was the uh, mm -hmm. pay per view. Ben Bala is a technician who can wrestle as well as virtually anyone. And basically they were just hitting each other like, like, like any garbage wrestling match with, with, with every object in sight. And then at the very end, they, they did like special effects where the ring ropes collapsed and it was just a stupid ending. It was like a cartoon. It was like a cartoon that offended me. Orange Cassidy, you know, it is what it is. It's just, it's just silly for the sake of being silly. Roll with it for eight minutes. You know, bring on Omega and the Lucha Brothers and, and, and the big boys afterwards, you know? Okay. All right. Fair enough. Andy, I know you, I know you uh, are, let's just say <laughs> you've been juiced with the orange. <laughs> yeah. No, I, uh, even as Evan's talking, I'm like, I'm trying to like, I, I understand what he's saying. I'm trying to buy into it. But for me, I don't know if it's just a combination of 
not my thing and just my old school mentality, but I just, uh, it's funny, you know, I can almost be hypocritical saying that because, you know, you talk about the Lucha matches and the comebacks and stuff. And I often talk about, you know, as soon as we start doing multi-man, anything beyond a tag, you start doing the six, eight, 10 man tags. And all of a sudden I'm like, you know what? I just enjoy it for what it is because all the rules are going to go out the window and whatever. Mm-hmm. I, I think how I would look at that based on what Evan was saying is to me, it's, you know, it's, it's probably like, like watching a movie or a TV show. It's like, you can take your suspension of disbelief to a certain level. Mm-hmm. And then it gets to a point where it's like, nope, I'm done. I, you know, I've suspended my disbelief for this, 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 I suspended it for the big Hogan comeback. I've suspended it for the undertaker rising from the dead. Uh, I've suspended that all of a sudden rules go out the window and, and six, eight men with their shotguns, finish, 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 finish. I just, I, I can't get past, you know, it's like if, if he's going to kick somebody in the shins and he's doing the thing in the pockets, it's, you know, like, uh, like Evan initially said, he'd get his ass kicked in the locker room, never mind making it out to, you know, to the middle of the ring. And that's, I, I, even for, for Memphis. And I mean, at first, as you say, I'm like, Oh yeah. Cause Memphis, you know, and I, I'm, I love Memphis and for all the stuff that they do, I even have a hard time seeing that like you know you're like oh yeah maybe he'll beat Lawler for the belt once or twice i'm like no i i can't even i can't even buy into that i just Lola russell kaufman yeah 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 but but comparing andy kaufman to here we go it's comparing no comparing kaufman to cassidy that's comparing apples to oranges yeah but i'm just saying it's performance odd it's not right but i just i don't see like the performance art, the way at least Kaufman was doing it, where it was still more wrestling. Yeah, more. I I, I hesitate to say legit, but yeah, I mean it yeah. was more towards wrestling. You know, it, it was still the the talking trash, and you know he's still trying to grab the. I mean, and, and let's face it, like Kaufman actually did very little, right? Because mm-hmm. it was mostly just the talk and the jaw jacking when he had the matches with Lawler, and then it was like one bump, and it's like you know he broke his neck. To me, that's more believable than you know, anything Orange Cassidy's going to do. So okay. that's why I, I say it's like, you know, it, it's, you know, my suspension of disbelief, da, 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 it's like, no, I'm sorry. It, it's not going to hit that point. So I, I, I'm not a fan of it now. And yeah, like fair I said. Fair enough, um, fair enough. You know what I find comical is when you have the three-man matches and the one guy within a minute, he's, he's lying outside the ring taking a nap. Then when yeah. the guy falls out of the ring, he immediately rejuvenates and jumps back in. You know, that's yeah, see, that's strategy. That's strategy because he's waiting for a spot to get back in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny because the way you both have talked has really helped me to express what I've always struggled to express about why I get slightly annoyed by the Orange Cassidy stuff and stuff like this, okay? Um, I appreciate the guy's skill and I appreciate the performance art aspect of it. Okay. But when I'd be able to break it down for me easy is the sense of, I go to a lot of indie shows, right? And uh, I see lots of nonsense on indie shows, like lots of nonsense. You see the guys being hypnotized by the dance move. You see, you know, people slowing down and doing the slow motion bits. Uh, I saw one time where a guy got knocked out or knocked out uh, at the end of his match, and it was for the inter- the intermission was coming next. So just for the fun of it, he laid in the entire ring for the entire intermission as if he was knocked out and nobody helped him. So he laid there for like 25 minutes, not moving. 
just so he could top his buddy who did 35 minutes the day before. Um, so I get that stuff and I have a chuckle with that stuff. However, I don't think I want to turn on my television and see that stuff. I think things come in levels and it's okay to see some low level, low brow humor here. And it's okay to see something on a bigger stage there, but on the television and a giant stage, I don't think it's appropriate. It's like watching a, watching going to your local college watching two kids put on a fight scene or something like that then going to an off 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 broadway show and seeing some ridiculousness and then turning on your television i don't want to see that pile of shit on television i think by the time you hit the television you should be much more polished and 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 a better thing i think it, it just makes it seem like then any piece of crap can make it on television and that's supposed to be your upper goal. So I guess that's why that bothers me is that some of that stuff, I believe, should be left down on the lower levels. It's all right. I'm not going to make fun of Orange Cassidy if I pay my money and go see him do that shtick in front of uh, 200 fans in Edmonton on a, a Friday night. Sure. Why not? Uh, I, am no, I do not think it's cool to turn on my television with a couple million of us watching and trying to explain what the hell is that crap going on to people who just turned it on by accident. Let me put it to you this way. I would, as a jaded old school fan, I would travel to see Omega against Brian Danielson. I wouldn't travel to see uh, Orange Cassidy on top. You know, to me, it's, it's just a chuckle in the middle of a show. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I'm not that far removed from how you guys see it, but it doesn't, mm-hmm. it doesn't bother me as well. Yeah. Okay. He, he's he's one of the acts and he's one of the acts of the circus, but he's he's not in the main tent that we are coming to see the big uh, the big main stars. No, no, it's like when you see war. Evan has saw so much horrible things in his life <laughs> that now he's willing to just accept that something's happened. <laughs> oh man! Well, you know what? Uh, this has been fun just talking about some modern wrestling, uh, getting some takes on stuff. It's always fun too because you know we've always had. Uh, We've had our things about, you know, the 80s and the, the 70s, and we've seen things. And, and we may not have, uh, you know, Evan's only just a little bit older than us. And, and it's not like me and Andy are spring chickens. You know, our, ours is, our heydays were the mid-80s. Uh, Evan's may be the late 70s. Um, Elio's is, I don't know, what is it, 2010s? <laughs> Anyhow. Uh, <laughs> so think of a little further back, like the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it, it's just kind of interesting to see, like, it's so cool to see how some of the guys on top, to be honest, if we're going to be 100% honest with ourselves, most of the guys that are on top these days would not have been on top 40 years ago because the world was different. We saw things through different colored eyes. We saw things through different perspectives and different values. And uh, it's just like saying whatever thing is super cool trend right now, it wouldn't work 40 years ago because it wasn't a trend then. It wasn't on the radar. It wasn't, it was a whole weird and alien thing. It's fun of us to pretend, oh, how would that guy do and blah, blah, blah. But in most factualities, most there's not a lot of people who can transcend uh, the, the things. I mean, even Hulk Hogan got booed uh, in WCW days. You know, he went from the immortal Hulk Hogan to the, who's that old dude with the scraggly mustache, you know, like, Life happens, things change, and fans' perspectives change. 
it is fun for us to do our, our uh, armchair booking and pretend that we can move guys around because it's a fun thing to do. We're hoping you fans tuned in and listened and got some fun perspectives. Maybe we talked about some of the stars you like. Maybe we didn't. If we didn't, why don't you write in and tell us the people you'd like us to talk about? I know Evan's going to be coming back on the show down the road. We're going to have him talk a lot more 70s and 80s wrestlers. If there are some wrestlers that you are really wanted some insight about that specifically wrestled in the uh, Northeast United States, by all means, drop us some notes, ask, and we'll see if we can question uh, Evan about some of the people that you may be. You know, it doesn't always have to be the superstars. I joked about uh, that. What was that guy's name? Say it again. Baron. Baron Sakluna. Baron Sakluna. I've heard that name. I've seen that name. Yes. A billion things. All I know is I saw a picture of a dude, uh, a ill-fitting cape and a dude, and I know nothing about him. That's the kind of guy that, you know what? Why not ask Evan what his memories of that? Because I bet you he has some. Because that guy wrestled a lot I in that saw, area. Evan Sakuna every month for ten years. I can I can tell you a lot about him. Yeah. So fans, feel free to write in. Uh, and fans, we are thinking of starting a GoFundMe so that Elio can get one more light bulb in that damn room. So you know he is not <laughs> evil. We're not sure what he's doing over there. Is he wearing clothes? We don't know. Maybe that's the whole thing. Rescue team to get him out of the casket. <laughs> <laughs> and uh we may even start a gofundme and get uh, get poor andy a razor i i don't know no. <laughs> he's shaving his head not his beard it's the wrong hair andy it's the wrong hair uh, and by the way fans if you want to see andy stick a bunch of wicks on his beard and light his face up like yellow beard <laughs> if we get one hundred thousand likes or requests Andy will indeed shove some candles in his face, light them up like the Yellow Beard movie. I don't know how much he'll scream when those wicks hit his hair. We don't know. We'll find out. Won't it be great? Hundred thousand. That's a stretch. I don't know what's going on here. I don't know what's going on here. What's going on? Oh, Evan, please forgive the children. Um, thank you for coming on this week's episode. I hope you had fun. Uh, it's always great to hear your... It, it, what's it like to be the voice of reason amongst the three of us? That's, that's crazy, man. <laughs> uh, I, I enjoy doing your, your show because you guys are knowledgeable and and you don't treat it like it's life and death. I, I mean... I, I have guys attack me online like I'm their mortal enemy because they disagree <laughs> with something you say about a uh, WWE pay-per-view or whatnot. It's like some of these people really cross a line into obsessive. Yeah. So, well, first I, of all, well, and, made- and you know what, actually, if I could say real quick, when we were talking at the start of the show, kind of talking about how, you know, with Evan and, and how, you know, what, what he posts, it's not just, it's not just about wrestling because even talk, you know, he talks a lot about movies and he talks a lot about music and that's one of the things too. And it, it's that, that same kind of mindset that, that goes across the wrestling, the movies, the music. It's like, you know, you, you know, you talk about people from, you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago that, oh, you know, this was the best back then. It's nothing is as good now. And, you know, you made the point of saying, it's like, okay, well, yeah, no, like I still believe this was pretty special. But I, but they still can acknowledge and recognize there's still great stuff that's going on to this day. Yeah. It, I tell people support indie everything, indie, mm-hmm. everything, indie film, indie music, indie theater, whatever, whatever. Because um, I'll tell you, I have tons of musician friends. They're brilliant. To say there's been no good music since the Beatles is just stupid. It's just mm-hmm. stupid. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's a little harder to find, but, um, you know, it's out there, believe me. And yep. uh, 
you know, we, we make indie films and uh, we spent six years making 350 days. People don't realize what goes into making a, we spent seven years making The Wrestler. So the, mm-hmm. I mean, The Wrestler technically is an indie film. It was done on $6 million. That wouldn't be the food budget for the Avengers. You know, no, seriously, seriously. And uh, yeah, yeah. so, you know, you could create art on a budget and uh, to, you know, the, the dinosaurs that go, there's been no good wrestling since the territories. Come on, come on. It's, it's, it's absurd. And, uh, you know, so my, my mantra is really support quality and support indie. And, yep. uh, you know, and, and the, the artists appreciate it because every dollar counts and your support counts. And when you go to a club and you see an indie artist, this guy might recognize you by face. Paul McCartney's looking out at 80,000 people. It's a different yeah. experience, you know? Yeah. So, uh, yeah. And I tell, I tell people all the time, I, I told a story, I'll make this real quick. I know you want to go. I, I was mm-hmm. telling a story the other day how I was working a gimmick table. Who, see, who seated next to me? Chris Canyon. This is just, yeah, and um, nicest guy going, and we're just you know bullshitting during the lulls in the day or night or whatever. And uh, my buddy shows up with his nephew and his little friends. They're like grade schoolers, and he Chris Canyon suddenly gets up. He says, "Guys, don't go anywhere," and he runs to his car and he brings back these beautiful eight by tens and he signs it. What's your name, kid? And you know he signs it for everybody. So my friend goes, you know, how much do I owe you? And Chris Canyon goes, nothing, nothing. I, I wouldn't charge a kid, you know? And it, it's like. That's awesome. Yeah, this is, this is like an indie artist mentality, you know? Mm-hmm. He, wanted, he wanted to make these kids happy. It wasn't about money. It, you know, yeah. Vince, Vince, everything's about money. It, yeah. it, it's a different mindset. And, uh, you know, so when we work on various projects, we want something to be great, not a product. We want to mm-hmm. we want to do something, you know, that'll stand the test of time. And uh, you know, and you guys, you guys do a, you know a really good show. It's from the heart. It's from the heart. If you guys sat here and obsessively went over like every match on Raw and SmackDown, I wouldn't be here because I'd be <laughs> I fall asleep. <laughs> really. like, I, we fall asleep doing that for AEW. That's why I, that's why I don't watch Raw. I have it recorded, and then I fast forward through the commercials. Yeah, just skim through everything. Parts. Yeah. Anyway, that, that's my uh, monologue for the evening. But uh, well, that was good. I, I remember reading that Chris Canyon story. That was very cool. Yeah, yeah. And it's funny because I just want to just say something really quick too. Is um, you reminded me of a really quick story. Is I've been to so many events and I've worked, you know, kind of backstage at things, and I've been like, w- you know, helping guys at the tables or whatever, right? Um, and I've seen many stars come in, you know, named guys and, and, and interact with fans, you know, and I've seen extremes where I've seen like Raven come in and just not even really look at you, scribble something and ask for money. You know, uh, I've seen that. But then on the flip side, um, and I want to bring this up is uh, one of the most touching things I saw of a wrestler interacting with fans was years ago at a show in Edmonton where Daphne was on. And every time, every single little girl that came up to her, she went around the table and talked with, and, and it was, I was so impressed watching her, but she's barely, you know, she's not really doing this for money. Cause you're not really doing, especially in Edmonton, you're not going to be doing a shit ton of money unless you're like, 
AJ Styles or something like that. But you, you know, you're you're not really going to make a ton of money doing this. And she's there, and she's you know she's taking her time. She doesn't care that she's not pumping you know money in her fist every two seconds. She's talking to each person like they're their friends or somebody she wants to get to know. And I was so impressed with the way she treated not just me and fans, but little girls and children. And to this day, you know, it extremely hit me the day I read that she had died because she stuck in my head as one of the kindest wrestlers I had ever dealt with the entire time I had been in wrestling. So um, it's so sad and tragic when people that are that giving and caring just get eaten up in this world. Well, sometimes when people are very sensitive, it's, um, you know, they feel everything 10 times more. Mm -hmm. Uh, They say uh, the poets and the saints are the only ones who truly see. It's an old expression, but, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, so she she was probably very special and everything hit her, you know, much harder (laughs) as a sensitive person. And um, ironically, you know, Chris Canyon killed himself on my wedding day. On my yeah. wedding day. I mean, what are the chances of that? So I, I you know, I, I always think of him and it just saddens me. And that dark side mm-hmm. of the ring, like really like brought everything back, which is why I wrote that. But, uh, you know. Well, I'm sorry to hear that, Evan. That is a, that is not, it's not a cool story for you to have to think about. But we want to thank you again for coming on this week. This was fun. Tell everybody what where they can find stuff. I know you know you've. I know you could turn on Prime because I just watched last month. I would just watch 350 days. I watched that on Prime, uh, Prime Network. Uh, the Wrestler, it's floating around out there. Tell me some other stuff that people can look for and what you're doing. Sure. I have a book coming out: Wrestling Rings, Blackboards, and Movie Sets. A hundred stories similar to the one I just told you. Um, mm-hmm. um, lost a lot of good people along the way, but. And it's not just wrestling, like Andy said. It's uh, basically my life in a hundred in a hundred stories. As an educator, as a filmmaker, as a person involved in wrestling in various capacities, and being on the road with you know guys like the Valiants and Captain Lou and these guys, and uh, you know, really funny stuff, really sad stuff, really poignant. Uh, just a lot of um, experiences that have been floating around my head. And because of the pandemic, I had the time to actually put them to paper. And uh, so that should be out hopefully by the end of the year, beginning of next year. It's written. It's, it's in production already. Um, and we have a film wrestling then and now that we did some 20 years back on pennies. You could see that on Amazon. Killer Kowalski. Don, Dr. Death Arnold, Homicide. How's that for past meets present? Homicide's in the same movie as Killer Kowalski. Wow. That's crazy. <laughs> Homicide's awesome. I, you know, he, he's great. And um, yeah, et cetera, so on. I'm not hard to find. I do a uh, Facebook page, uh, Evan Ginsberg's Old School Wrestling Memories. You can check that out and uh, et cetera, so on. I'm easy enough. Excellent. But I appreciate, I appreciate you guys. Thanks so much. Anytime. Oh, we appreciate, we appreciate you. Yes, we appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, fans, we want to thank you for tuning in uh, this week. It's been a, a fun time. You've been listening to the Real Quarantine Show. Uh, I'm uh, I'm not the Lone Wolf Andy Anderson, nor am I the gentleman <laughs> Elio Canella. That's those two guys <laughs> over there. 
but we all want to wish you a good night and uh, we look forward to seeing you next time. Uh, check out Evan. And I'm going to tell you one last quick thing. You know, one time I try, I wanted to talk with uh, Cody Rhodes and um, I, I said, how do I get to talk to Cody Rhodes? And they said, Oh, you're going to have to talk. This was at a wrestling show, by the way, keep this in mind at a wrestling show. They said, you're going to have to talk to his agent. And then maybe his agent will talk to him and then maybe his, he'll get back to his agent and his agent will maybe set something up with you. Like I just sort of went, Hmm, fuck it. Walked away. Uh, when I talked to Evan, I sent him an email saying, Hey, we're doing the show. Would you like to be on it? He went, yeah, sure. Why not? It's that easy. (laughs) 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 Guys have a great night. Uh, Oh, Hey, Andy, do us, do us out with the, uh, I was going to say this may be new, but there's some things that remain the same. So we go. All right. Uh, fans, thanks for tuning in in the meantime and in between time, that's it. Another edition of the real quarantine. Bye-bye now.